Welcome to the Chasing Brighter podcast, a show about self-discovery and lifestyle tips for moms. We are your hosts. I'm Kelly, a wife, mom of two, and an independent consultant with my own company in Chicago. And I'm Jessica, a wife, mom of three, and owner of my own outpatient mental health practice in Nevada. You're about to go on a journey of self-discovery as we chase a brighter you. Every single week, we will bring you new episodes that will cover everything from lifestyle and tips to more serious conversations about grief, life, and hardships. Whether it's a duo episode or we have a guest, you are guaranteed to pick up a new tool or feel less alone. This one is for the moms that have forgotten how to make time to keep their spark alive. Allow this show to be a reminder to always keep chasing a brighter version of you. Let's get into it. Today, we're so excited to have Braxton Storm, LCSW, join us today. Braxton is a husband and father of two with another one on the way. He's a licensed clinical social worker. Braxton owns his own private practice, Calm the Storm, LLC. Through his practice, he has found that effective treatment for children includes coupling interventions with parents. Braxton has established an eight-week parenting course based on research by Dr. Dan Siegel and his book, The Whole Brain Child. In addition to his professional experience, Braxton grew up within the foster care and relative placement systems, which led to being adopted at the age of nine by his aunt and uncle. This experience has created a passion that Braxton has in empowering children and parents or caregivers to make meaningful connections and thrive in their relationships. So Kelly, I was so excited to have Braxton on today. What do you think? I was really interested in just learning about the whole brain child philosophy. I've seen the book for years. I know it's been out for a long time but I've never picked it up and read it. So I was really interested in what he shared with us, especially when we talk about parenting classes. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, this is why I love social workers because I do feel like social workers see a need and fill a need. And so Braxton starts his practice. He starts working, he's working with kids and then it's, Oh, it's not just the kids, but the parents need tools. And I I think sometimes, what are your thoughts on, I don't know, this is my experience, I think, as a therapist. People come in and they're like, I specialize in anxiety and trauma. And they're like, this is freaking out. I feel out of control. My life is so difficult. And the solution is actually simple. And people sometimes don't want to hear that or don't want to do that because I think we want it to be this overly complicated, difficult thing, but it's actually simple. Yeah, I think you're right. In general, life isn't. Life is not supposed to be hard. And I think we definitely make it more difficult. And I think parenting is a great example of that. If you're not in a good headspace and you're in a situation, you make it a heck of a lot harder to resolve the situation rather than if you had a clear head. I think talking to Braxton's been really, was really awesome in just a lot of the tools and tips he shared and just thinking about how us as parents can use the whole brain child framework to be better parents. So that's part of us with Chasing Brighter yeah. is like our journey of self-discovery and how we can be our you know best and brightest selves. And parenting and being a great parent, I think, comes into that too. Yeah. And I think 
that's what Braxton focused on is that the work begins with us. It's our Mm -hmm. internal work. If we want to be a great parent, we have to be a great human, right? And care for ourselves and take care of ourselves. And ultimately, connection with our child is what is going to help us through the teen years. And I think what is really fascinating about what you just said, and I was thinking about it before you said it, which was connection and how Mm. connection is the lifeblood of kind of self-fulfillment and happiness. And it's interesting that here's this book and it really comes down to that too, is having that connection with your child in those moments. Okay. I can make everything go back to the book, The Four Agreements. Mm-hmm. I feel like you and I can make also everything go back to that book, The Good Life. The Good Life, I know. Because they're like, what's the key to human happiness? Connection, right? Like healthy connection is the key. And what's great is that we can grow and evolve and change as humans. And let's say we messed up. Let's say we were short. We were like working a lot when our kids were little. We we really struggled. It was very difficult for us when they were little. And we didn't do our best to make a connection. That doesn't mean that there's not an opportunity to begin to grow and create connection now. It may Mm -hmm. be a little more difficult, but it's possible. It's possible to create a connection with your child at any time. And I think it's to that point you hear of parents who are like, or dads who are like, I'll deal with, I'll be with the kid when they get older, when they can catch a football or whatever it is, right? Your connection with your child maybe evolves and changes over time too. Yeah. Um, just depending on which phase. And also the personalities start to come out more and more as they get older. And so you, your relationships evolve and that connection might change too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because your kids are going to have different needs at different times, right? There's a time where like you're their only source of survival. Like you give them food, you give them water. And then when they can start doing that for themselves, you know, uh, their need for you is going to change. So um, I loved this interview. I thought Braxton was awesome. I'm so excited for you guys to hear what he has to say, hearing his story, hearing his journey and hearing how we can use the whole brain child to parent our teens. So here is our interview with Braxton Storm, LCSW. Welcome, Braxton. We're so excited to have you today. This is so awesome. Yes, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. One of the reasons we're so excited to have you today is Kelly and I are having teenagers take over our household. And we have found that it's a little, it's different. It's different. A teen is different than a younger child in many ways. And we're trying to navigate it. And I love that you were out there, that you created a parenting course and that you were helping parents navigate parenting. And I love through the lens of the whole brain child, which we'll get to. Just looking back through your life, how do you think you got to this moment? What led you to becoming a therapist and starting your own practice? Yeah, great question. It's hard to pinpoint maybe one particular thing, but I think it's been a journey, right? I was in foster care as a youth, right? A little kid. And it's actually funny in my, I found out later in my court reports in talking to case managers, one of the things I was quoted saying was that I hate social workers. <laughs> and it turns out that's what I am now. Right? And, um, so it was funny, right? I- ironic that's the case. But I-, I think there's always been a drive within me to, 
give back and make something of my story for whatever reason. I don't know necessarily that I think that's just who I am, but not saying that everyone that has gone through what I've gone through has to do this, but that's been my story. I, I never thought, so I got into social work. I did a lot of different things and I never thought I'd be a therapist. And then one day a mentor said, you know what, just sit in on the session, right? Just see what I do. And after, after that, I was like, you know what, I, th I think that's what I'm going to do. So that's in a broad sense, what's got me to this point overall. Do you think those, hearing that quote that you didn't really remember, do you think it was just because it was blaming the social worker for, for changing your living situation or? As a little kid, I had knew intuitively that there were some issues at home and, and different things, but I, the social workers like that target that you can place blame. I'm not going to blame my parents, right? Regardless of what they're doing. I'm going to blame someone that's taking me away from them, yeah. regardless of how safe or unsafe the situation was. So, yeah, yeah. I worked with abused and neglected kids for quite a few years in group homes in California. And I've always told people it's astounding. Kids always want back with mom and dad. Always draw a picture. Mom and dad does not matter what mom and dad have done to them, whether mom and dad are together or not. That's kids desire. And so reflecting on what you're saying of those of feelings of, yeah, you want to be with your parents. But that's incredible. You were in the foster care system for a little bit and then you were adopted. Yeah, from the age of three until I was 10, uh, I was in and out of different situations. I was in foster care for a length of time, just one time, and then relative placement. So I was with my grandma and then I went with my aunt and uncle and then back with my mom. And in California, after uh, a parent gets their child taken away three times, at least back in the, the 90s, they get their parental rights taken away. There's no fourth chance. And so that, that's what occurred in my situation. Uh, after the third time, I had to go somewhere and my aunt and uncle stepped up and said, we'll just, we'll take them in. They had cousins, they had kids that were my cousins, same age as me. It was a good fit. Yeah. And then you went on to school and did you, so I know you said you did all kinds of things, but what type of things have you done in the social work field or as a therapist? Yeah. So I started off working in skilled nursing. I, I guess I should back up. I, I did uh, some internships in foster care parental recruitment. So I did that first. Uh, mm -hmm. That was, I love that. That was really cool. Uh, lots of pop-ups and events and more community social work, right? Mm -hmm. That was really awesome to, and then some training too, which was great. Uh, and that, maybe that's probably a precursor to where I'm at now working with a lot of parents. But uh, so I did that and then I, I moved to Vegas and I started working in skilled nursing. That was my first official social work job. Uh, I found out very quick that that wasn't where I wanted to be. Uh, just wasn't a great fit. So I, I moved into my master's program and I worked at SafeNest, which is the domestic violence agency here in town. And that's where I found my mentor who I actually share offices with now, ironically, but, mm. and she pushed me into uh, therapy. So that was really cool. I did a lot of domestic violence groups and worked with uh, perpetrators and victims of domestic violence and a lot of community advocacy, different things like that, which was great. And then uh, I started my clinical internship uh, here in town with an agency who specializes in uh, children and adolescent uh, foster care youth and adoptive youth. So I did two and a half, three. I'm still there a little bit on the side, but I work with uh, that population. And then just last year, I started my private practice. That's this is the beginning of that journey, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. so, I am like a social worker through and through. I think that yeah. an MSW is like the best degree ever. 
And what you're talking about is such an example of why it's so versatile. You can Very do broad, so many yeah. things. And like you, I went into, in, in my program, it was micro practice and macro practice and micro was therapy. And I was like, oh, I'm going to run a nonprofit. I did macro the mm-hmm. whole time. And then I was like, finished my degree. And then I was like, never mind. <laughs> and I have another friend did same thing. Like several of us studied macro management. And then, we're, and then I have friends doing all kinds of things. And so I think it's so diverse because as you go through the life cycle, Kelly and I are in our 40s. Like you have to pick what you want to do at 18 and then you're stuck doing that forever. Right. And so I think it's, you could do so many cool things with it. You're just and perhaps we're biased, right? But it, yeah. the social work field is so broad, right? Like yeah. I could go out and we can do a nonprofit or whatever, just based on our, mm-hmm. our educational background. But it's, yeah, there's so many options. It's awesome. Yeah. And so Kelly and I were not so familiar with the whole brain child until I started stalking you on the internet. And um, we didn't find anything too bad. <laughs> no, all good. I don't, we didn't talk about this yet, but you have the best name ever. Braxton Storm is like the best name ever. And your practice, Calm the Storm. I just feel, yes. wow, you hit the jackpot with these, this wonderful it's name. Perfect and... as a therapist. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So great. Yeah. So good. So we haven't read the whole brainchild yet, but now obviously we've told you it's on our queue. I would love to hear about the book and then what about it inspired you to then create parenting classes? Yeah, great question. When I started working with these foster and adoptive youth three or four years ago, I realized pretty quick that the youth would only progress as far as the parents were, right? That analogy of like, you, you can't pick someone up unless you're higher than them, right? And the parents oftentimes or not. They were in a, a puddle of mud, so to speak, as well. And, and they were stuck. And, and so I teach these kids these skills. They go home and have an adverse reaction uh, to those skills that were being taught because the parents weren't validating the progress, right? So they come back and it was just a continuous cycle of, okay, here's some skills. Let's do it again. Let me do it again. And I got tired, to be honest, of running in circles. And so what I, I just tried to broaden my horizons a bit and reach beyond the child. And obviously what I found was that parents and parental involvement, which I perhaps I should have known, maybe I did know that based on my background, but I, I just started to realize that the parental involvement in the therapeutic process is crucial, right? There, there's lots of therapists that might have different opinions, right? But I, I think I've seen most success when the parents are held accountable in the therapeutic process and they, they're given homework and skills and techniques and processing within that session as well. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I worked with adolescents for a long time. And when I worked with kids in the foster care system, the parents were on a plan. So they had to do everything I suggested. So I thought I was like this great therapist. And then when I went into the private sector, parents were like, something's wrong with my kid. Take care of my kid. See you later. So you're like seeing the kid one hour a week, but the family system isn't changing. And so it's like, how can you make change? when they're being thrown right back in and Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. something different. And so then I would change my spiel about, okay, if you're bringing your child to therapy, it's like what you're talking about. This is a whole program, right? This is a whole, we all need to make changes. It's not just like me fixing your kid, but that absolutely was totally my experience as well. How do you, for both of you guys, and I even liking it to like, my husband and I were in couples therapy, but we only were in couples therapy because he went to therapy himself. and then. He, I think, again, same thing, right? It's about those re- these relationships, right? Where you can only do so much one-sided in some way if you do want to try to improve the situation. So 
in my case, like I didn't want to go to therapy, right? So he dragged me kicking and screaming at the time. And it ultimately was great and definitely life-changing. I probably wouldn't have this Chasing Brighter podcast otherwise. But I guess my question for you guys is like, how do you draw, or even for you, Braxton, like how do you draw that parent in when they're, they were like thinking you guys were going to fix them without them? How do you help? Because people don't want to face, right? I me, I don't want to face the things that I'm not good at or the things I'm not that are sad or whatever. So how do you draw them into a conversation? That's so uh, I actually, maybe perhaps my practice is unique or the way that I operate is unique. But when parents call me, I just had a conversation with a, a parent last week and she called me and said, Hey, this is my child. Here's the problem. Right. And I said, that's great. I'll see you and your husband for a session. She's like, wait, what? I thought I was just going to bring my son. And I said, no, I'm going to meet with you and your husband. I want to make sure that what you're doing as a parent, you feel validated and you feel important. You have the skills that you need so that I can make it an effective treatment. She was very caught off guard, but her and her husband came in and throughout our conversation, I talked about the whole brain child principles and different things. And what we found is that they had no parenting structure. They had never once talked about how they wanted to parent. And so they're bringing their child in and saying, my child doesn't talk to us. Yeah. But have you guys ever thought about what you need to do as parents? Or are you just leaning on generational patterns mm-hmm. and, and hoping that it works out? And, and oftentimes, for good or for bad, I think that's what we do as parents. Right? It, like you said, it's hard to face the, the idea that we need to change as it is for everyone. It just so happens that with parents, it impacts their children quite a bit. Yeah, that's great. How'd you think of that spiel? Did you write that? Did you have to create a script for yourself or is that just natural? Yeah, that's just, that's what I do. And then also I've been toying with the idea. I've had mixed reviews. I actually, in some cases, require them to get the whole brain shop work. Hmm. So before, before treatment starts, because as we'll talk about, I'm sure this workbook is tailored towards the parents and what makes them parent the way they do. And so I, I invite them to get that workbook and then I spend a good 30 minutes a week talking to them throughout the session. So I spend very little time with the child at first. And spend a lot of time with the parent, like processing each worksheet and seeing where they're at. So let's dive into that. Let's talk about the whole brain child. Maybe just a quick high level for anyone who's never heard of it in terms of what it, how it can help parents. Yeah, it's important to differentiate. There's a book called the whole brain child book, and mm-hmm. it's a blue book, a smaller book. And then there's a red handbook or a workbook. The book itself, the blue one is for parents to help parent their children. So it gives them skills of how to relate to their childhood. Now, the workbook does the same thing, but it instead of just doing that, it enables the parent to reflect back on their own parenting, where they got it from, where do they get these skills from? Do they yell? Do they scream? Do they do timeouts? Why do they do those things? It's probably because they were given those things as children. It just helps that it's a much more reflective process doing the workbook for parents as opposed to the book. So I... Um, now, what does that workbook do? It teaches some different skills too. So it'll say, it'll, it might ask a question like, what do you do when you're triggered as a parent, right? Your child does something and it elicits a response within you. What's your reaction when that occurs? And a parent might say, like I said, I throw them in the timeout or I spank them or I yell or I whatever. And then it teaches them skills. And those are the same skills in both, both books. The first one, which is really what I try to hone in on, is connection over correction, which it does not go well with parents, right? You, you tell that to a parent, typically dads, right? To be honest, it's really hard for males, I think, overall to, to relate to this. But when you 
invite someone to connect, right? a parent to connect with their child in the heat of the moment instead of correct them, which is our natural tendency. It's really awkward and really hard for us to do that as parents. That's the first skill. Second one's name it to tame it, right? When, they, when a child is feeling something, they obviously most of the time don't have the words. So they might hit something or scream or tick or whatever, right? I have little kids and they do that. So it's our job as parents to teach them what they're actually feeling. Instead of just labeling them as a bad child or unproductive or hot-headed, right? They're feeling emotions, and that's what all of us feel. Third one is engage, don't enrage. Pretty self-explanatory, but meet them at eye level. Speak with a calm voice. Try to help them understand that what they're feeling is normal and that you get it as another fellow human being working on progress. Move it or lose it is number four. That just means get active, right? Do something. Don't just stay there. It's okay to go through that process and then act, do something to change your environment. And number five is uh, SIFT, which stands for sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts. So that's where we get narration, which is often hard for parents to do too, but it's really effective, especially with littler kids. They narrate, especially between siblings, like, oh, Johnny, it looks like your eyes are watering, right? I wonder what's going on inside for you or your sister clench or you're, you're about to hit your sister, right? You kind of narrate the story and it, it catches them off guard like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Uh, and it helps them to understand from an outsider's perspective, oh, this is something that I can change. It's not just something that completely overwhelms me. There's things that I can do to alleviate this. That's so that good. <clears throat> my my youngest is very difficult and I know it's because of three kids. Um, he's a third, mm-hmm. so I have less for him than I did for the other two. And he's been saying a lot. He'll say, you're a mean mom. You're a mean mom. Well, what did I do? You yelled at me. Okay, let's talk about what happened. And, and I'll say, I, I was really frustrated. And he doesn't have a recollection of anything that he was doing. So it would be like, okay, we're having, like yesterday, we're having tutoring in the car. Okay, bud, I got you a snack in the car. We have a snack. Your tummy's full. We're going to go home. We have tutoring with Maxwell. I really would like for you to, to work with him. It's not kind when you hide under the table and refuse to work with him or whatever, right? And then we get in the house, runs under the, ta- runs under the table and refuses yeah. to follow a direction. So I'm imagining that right now to be like, wow, okay, so you're hiding under the table. Maxwell's asked you to come over and you're just hiding there and you're not responding to him because he really, it's like when he goes through it in his mind, he's everybody's mean. I'm being yelled at. And he, he doesn't realize like his actions. So I'm loving that. I'm, I'm trying to like give us, give examples, right. Uh, on, on when we could be doing that. So I, I love that for, for my youngest. Jessica, if you were to use that example, you just described, right. So the first principle connection over correction. Oftentimes as parents, we don't want to know why we don't want to know why you're doing, why you're hiding under the table. Yeah, we just, just don't do want what to I hide say. under the just table. Just do what yeah, I just, say. Just sit down because yeah. we have something. We're embarrassed. We're paying money. There's yeah. an investment and we care more about that appearance often, oftentimes, whether we recognize it or not. Yeah. We just want them to do it. We don't care about why. So maybe asking your son, why do you hide under the table? Yeah. What is so difficult about this scenario, right? What you're going to find is that you as, a, as an individual have often run into this as well. And so then you can say, you know what, I relate to that. So what can we do as parents 
to help you or what can we do as a team to help this experience go better? Do we need to do tutoring on the floor? Do we need to do it outside? Do we need to go to a park or do something else? That's problem solving. We're teaching them that problems don't have to overwhelm us, that there's always a solution, right? I think so many times our cup is empty, right? And this yeah. is what I was telling him. So last week we did this tutoring situation and I was like, oh, I had some energy. I was like, let's get a paper out. What would you like tutoring to do? What would you like to do with Maxwell? Okay, let's write that down. Okay, you want to do math. Great. Okay. And what else do you want to do? Wonderful. Okay. There, because I had the energy, right? I was, and then, but like, when we don't, wow. right? And I, and it's because I know it's coming from us. I know it's when we're trying to connect. And so I would give an example if I said, let's connect. Okay, why? What, why are you hiding the table? I don't want to do tutoring. I hate tutoring. I don't want to do it. Okay. What do you suggest? I want to do it with you. I want you to work with me. Okay. We did that. And you ran up in your room and you hid and you didn't listen. And I got really frustrated. That's that part, right? That's that part that's really important. Yeah, it's tough. And so then as a parent, our bowl is empty or whatever, our bucket's empty and we get frustrated. And then we say, I'm not going to take responsibility. I'll just have someone else come in, right? Maybe Maybe that's the right answer. Yeah. But we see through the research that children's success or adolescent success in a variety of different areas, right? Socially, academically, otherwise, is directly connected or correlated with parental involvement and parental connection. I was just reading a study in preparation for this and, and the research shows it, right? But as parents, I don't think we're, for a lot of different reasons, I, I, it's hard for us to know what to do. And so I think that's- absolutely main purpose of, of my group and the way that I run my practice is yeah. to give parents those skills. I love it too, because there are a lot of books, a lot of parenting books out there, right? You can find a bazillion different things, but I think the hardest part is putting it into practice and having a coach in some way is somebody who can help you navigate that as a parent, because anything is developing this new path, these new pathways. And It seems overwhelming to put things into practice unless you actually practice. And I feel like that, even as myself and a parent, is the hardest part is just you read something like, oh, I'm going to try that. And you try it and it works. And then you still go back to the old way very easily versus working with you where there's this regular check-in too. There's a little bit of accountability. Is that part of that you think? Yeah, I always try to describe this to, to parents that this isn't uh, a sprint, right? It's not going to change just because you did it for a week or you did it for two weeks, right? This is a patternized behavior that you're trying to, or lifestyle rather, that you're trying to create, right? And if a a child comes in who's 10 and the parents say, well, he's just always been a difficult child or she's always been whinier or hard or difficult. I always ask him, how long did it take you to get here? The child's 10 and you've been doing the same thing for 10 years. So to expect this to change within a couple months or a week or so, it, it, it's unrealistic. So it's very typical for parents to start. And I've seen this in my practice. Parents will start. They'll get discouraged. My words or my suggestions aren't enough for them because they just want the problem to be solved right now. And so what, what we'll find is that they'll stop and then they'll come back, right? And then they'll stop and then they'll come back, unfortunately. But that's very typical. Yeah, it's hard. Growth can and change can be hard. And you were saying we left you off at five, mm-hmm. right? Like move, movement. 
So sift. So number five is uh, sift. So that is the last one, which is sensations, oh. images, feelings, oh, and thoughts. Okay, okay. A, a lot of that workbook is focused on helping the parents understand why they parent the way they do. And the skills are just there as well, but not the primary focus. I have found the entire time I've been a parent, like we were giving the tutoring example, like m much of the strife, I don't know if that's either of yours experience, is when you need to do something. So if we're chilling at the house, we don't have a lot happening. There's not any pressure. And there's, but it's like when I'm trying to get something done for myself and trying yeah. to accomplish a task for myself is when there have been struggles. Because they're an, another to human. Them, they're a whole individual with that. their own agenda. <laughs> yeah, you're, it's, you're trying to like, you can't give two things attention at the same time. Yeah. That is yeah. the hard part. Yeah. And when we move through the life cycle and we get to the teen, teens are beginning to individuate. They want to, I think about it so much like a toddler. I remember reading a book and they said a toddler will have a tantrum because they want to go through the door and leave you, but they're screaming at the same time because they left you. And I feel like that's my experience with teens, right? Is they want to be left alone and they want to go do their own thing, but they also want you there as well mm -hmm. as they're growing. So how do you think we could use the whole brain child approach with a teen? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I, like I said, I use this across the, the children's lifespan. So it's not just I think the book is more tailored towards younger children, but I use it with teenagers often. And really, like you just said, you nailed it on the head. Teenagers want to be autonomous, right? They want to be able to choose for themselves what they want to do. And as us as parents, like you guys were saying at the beginning, right? Uh, lawnmower parents, we don't want them to feel pain, right? We don't want them to mess up. We don't want them to have their own experience unless it's tailored to alleviating our stress as parents, right? So if we get triggered by them making bad choices, we don't want them to make bad choices. So we fight against it, right? We don't, we don't want that to happen. I think one of the most important things kind of ties back to what we were talking about before, but when they become teenagers, we can't forget that they had 12 years before that. And what did we do with that 12 years, right? It's not like you just, sometimes you have to start when they're teenagers and build that connection again, especially if you, if we haven't put in the work before. But children across the lifespan want to be heard. They want to be seen. They want to be valued. That's the definition of connection that I use. And so making time to ensure that those teenagers know that they're loved despite the choices they, they want to make, helping them learn skills to make choices that are in accordance with their morals or their values, right? Instead of rules are important. I like to, to suggest to parents that they use principles. So, hey, you're hanging out with... So when she's doing drugs, right? Or she is sneaking out. Did that feel right to you as a child, right? As a teenager, as a person, is that something that falls in line with what you want to do? It's just fun, right? Or you just never let me do anything. Okay. So what can I do as a parent to help you to feel like you can make your own decisions? And what can you do as a teenager to make decisions that are in line with what you value, right? So you take that problem-solving approach instead of just saying, you're not hanging out with someone. Because eventually we know that they're going to hang out with so-and-so, right? The rules only go so far, whether they, they do so when they're 18 or they sneak out, right? Or they 
tell you they're somewhere and they're not, right? They're, they're going to do what they want to do. But if you can pause the situation and help them reflect on if they're behaving in a way that is in line with what they believe to be right, that's, that's what I found to be most successful. Does that make sense? That's a very, yeah, yeah, it's easier to say than it is to do thing, right? But that's where yeah. like the consistent parenting day after day, right? That's what we stand up for as parents. Yeah. But oftentimes yeah. we, we don't like the contract, right? We say, hey, can I modify some things? Can I just let them be by themselves? Can they just follow my rules? But we're really trying to set them up for independence and success long-term, right? This isn't just an 18-year-old thing. They have a lot of life to live. I think that's great. No, I see that my 13-year-old is very much trying to be independent and make his own choices. And I think that's what Jesse talked about is almost we see this, there's a switch in parenting where before you could rule the roost and have all these rules, but now they're pushing against you. And we know that they have to be on their own and be self-sufficient, be adults and have a job someday. And it's making that transition and figuring out how to let them feel good about making their own choices and us feel confident they're going to make the choice that is going to keep them a happy, but be safe and cared for. Yeah. Kids want to be trusted, right? Teenagers want to be, want to know that their parents see them as someone that can make the right choice. Yes. Even when they make mistakes, right? So then they come back. The key is that they come back, right? They make a mistake. They sneak out. They do whatever. And they say, you know what, mom or dad, I made a mistake. That's, I can imagine as parents of teenagers, that's probably the most validating experience, right? Is when they come back and say, you know what? I, I tried to do my best and it didn't work out. Can you help? That's what yeah. we're aiming mm-hmm. for. And where I, and, and we, I've talked about this before in the podcast where I say I have multiple personalities. I am a clinician. <laughs> I used to work in crisis intervention. So I have the skills and ability to talk to them and say, how do you feel? And let's talk about that. Or where's that coming from? But then there's like the reactionary part of me where I want to give like speeches. And we had a talk on the podcast earlier this week where my daughter and her friend thought it was like super smart to get on a boat with these guys that they met because they met them for two hours. So they're all, they know them. Literally their friends. great choice. And yes. my friend that was there with them was like hysterical. Their, the mother that was there were obviously they were kidnapped into the sex trafficking. It's, they're being sex trafficked and or they're, they've been murdered already. And it was like, I think as a parent too, when we talk about we want them to say I was wrong or whatever, it was like the struggle in that scenario was like the girls only focusing that we were overreacting. And when I look at what you're saying, the way we really wanted to press upon them how serious the situation was and you instead teacher, of right? asking the questions, instead of just stopping and saying, okay, what was your thought process there? Oh, they were your friends. What kind of went on that had you thinking, oh, now we're friends and 100%. just keep asking questions. And I we studied motivational interviewing for a long time to ask questions in a way to get them to realize it themselves. And, but instead I'm like, what the hell were you thinking? Are you serious? 100%. You seriously jumped on a boat? Is this happening? And so yeah. definitely flew out uh, of my brain all of the ways. And I, and I love hearing this. And the, the more we do it, the more we reinforce it and talk about it, the better we can become as parents to stop ourselves from reacting. Because like you're, yeah. you're saying, the workbook is about us working through our shit. Like we have triggers. Right. We have stuff. We have, I worked with sex traffic teens. That's going to be something I'm worried about. And so it's like recognizing with so many things in our lives, recognizing our triggers, self-soothing, taking a break, 
calming myself down so I can be present and ask them these questions because you're right. Our goal is to have a self-sufficient human and they're not going to be self-sufficient if I'm dictating their life and not allowing them right. to make their own mistakes because that's how we learn. Yeah. Yeah. I, interestingly enough, I uh, I was just in a conference this past week and they were talking about teenagers and it gave a generational difference between us as parents and what our kids need. And so one of them was as parents, we often want to teach them, right? We want to give them all the information, all the yes. wisdom that we have. Unfortunately, what we fail to realize is that all of our children have these devices, right? They can look up, they know that there's children being sex trafficked, right? They know the severity of it. They can look up anything, right? And so children don't need information from us anymore, which is a difference from when we were children, right? We needed information because we didn't have access to it. Our children don't. What they need is connection, right? They need to know, like you were saying, asking them questions, right? Leading them, I like to say, leading them to the trough, right? And then they'll drink, right? So leading them down the path where they need to go. And that's why I find it to be most effective. This is hard. This parenting gig, I signed up for a lifetime of this. I don't think I was fully informed. I, Jesse, it can be very rewarding. No, that's what I they love, say. I, I remember when I had my oldest, and someone said, I don't know if I read it, and they said, having a child is like having your heart outside your body. And that resonates with me so much. I know I'm incredibly fortunate. All three of my children were planned um, and came to this world, planned into a loving home. And, and, and it's, it is, it's like having your heart outside your body and you don't, that's why I don't want them to experience pain because then all experience pain and yeah, that yeah. you want them to have this loving little bubble life because it's hard to, to watch be happy forever. Yeah. Yeah. But obviously like my mistakes have made me who I am and it makes you yeah. stronger and wiser and yeah, but it's difficult. Resilience, yeah. So I love Jess. that connection piece, you yes. know? Yeah, maybe it's less about preventing the pain and instead providing a space that they can come when they feel pain, right? Yeah. And and you won't know your own resilience if you hadn't been exposed even to many traumas. I love the book. Braxton, have you did you listen to the book What Happened to You by yes. Oprah Winfrey? Yeah, I, oh my gosh. So I good. have it on my bookshelf. Yeah. So many books. Good. I have yeah. Gabor Mate. I'm I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's a medical he's a psychiatrist, a medical doctor that I follow quite a bit and I get a lot of information from him. Kind of the same thing. Yeah. Trauma. And how it impacts we our brain. Yeah, yeah. And how we can develop resilience by being exposed to many traumas. And Kelly and I talk all the time. And Kelly and I moved around a lot. And no, no one in our parents was in the military. Right. And <laughs> <That's> um, right. <laughs> everyone's, oh, are you a military brat? No, no we no, were not. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> but looking back, obviously, Kelly and I are incredibly flexible people who can go with the flow and we can meet and make friends like nothing because we were forced to do that. And so my, the flip is like joking, but I bought this house and someone's, oh, how do you live here? I'm, and I was like, I'm dying in this house. Like I'm never moving ever again. And I want my kids to be in the same school and never, ever experience right. um, changing schools. But then yeah. obviously that is not going to develop a flexible, resilient child either. Yeah, perhaps there's many ways to to get there. But I, I get yes, the, true. the sentiment. Yeah. I think that's, we just don't want that to happen. The things we've experienced, yeah. we yeah. would rather not have it virtually. Absolutely. Yeah. We become the anti-parent. And one of the things we talked about at the at beginning about your practice, and I would love to hear a little bit more just about the logistics of your practice and like 
who the population is that you see and, and, and the work that you're doing there? Yeah, good question. So I'd say probably about, it's just me in my practice. I'm the owner operator of the practice um, at this point, but I see probably 70, 80% children and adolescents uh, and then their parents, right? Because that's what I'm known for in Las Vegas. That's where a lot of my referrals come in uh, that way. I've expanded. I've done some trainings and some different things in couples and Greece and different things. So I have other populations as well. Interestingly enough, I get a lot of middle-aged women that come my way. <laughs> when I was talking to my wife the other day, I was like, I, I have no idea how I got that population. Aren't they uh, a joy to work with? Yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's good. So yeah, I like the diversity as much as I love working with teens and, and kids and parents. I like to have a few outliers kind of just differentiate the practice of it. So yeah, that's what we do. Yeah, very small. It's just me. Yeah, it's just me. And I'm telling you, that's the best way to be when people yeah. are telling me. I'm like, yeah, that's why I work by myself. I don't want to, I don't yeah. want to work with anybody anymore. You're right. I'm set in my way. Your and I'm field like, lends itself that you guys can be able to do that too, which is really great. Yeah. Yeah. Or like Rexon, you said you're still doing some work. Yeah, I do some contract work with an agency, like five hours a week, not too much, but yeah. it's great. So I have this podcast and then I'm going to go hang out with my kids and then I'll go to work a little later. And it's, I love yeah. working in this field. It's especially private practice. You can create your own schedule and do your mm -hmm. own thing. It's awesome. It's what's the point of having your own business if you don't get joy out of it. And I think that's something Kelly and I have talked about just a balance like when I started and people were like oh I can only come at midnight I'd be like okay I will see you yeah. and it was like I, was I used just, to do the I same wanted thing to yeah. build and I was just whatever and I was working weekends and then all of a sudden I was like what is happening and I changed my hours to be able to get my kids from school so then I felt like I owed people more so then I was working really early in the morning and then I was like what am I doing I can people I can be available whenever I want to be available and like the other day my son was sick and my mom is retired and I, I was like I don't have to have my mom watch him I can clear my schedule what's the point of being in charge if if we can't do that and that's great you know Kelly you run your own business and it's really awesome to be able to do that and run your own schedule yeah sure it's and hard it's hard to think back about the the eight to five or nine mm -hmm. to five yeah grant I tried yeah I went for a minute because I was like I want to work back in a nonprofit and I want to work with people and I won it. And then I did that. And I was like, oh, this is horrible. Now, I don't, I don't want to do what you say when you say, I don't want to go to meetings. I don't mm -hmm. want to do all yeah. of this. I didn't care about PTO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think, or do you, are there any other tips that we haven't gone over for our listeners and parenting teens or any strategies that we haven't touched on? Yeah, I was thinking about just one more. I think I had two, but I, I can only remember one. But this idea of repairing extremely difficult. And what I mean by repairing is saying, sorry, making amends, right? I, I, I am surprised by how many kids come into my office and I say, what's going on? And they bring up something with their parents. I say, would you ever hear the other, other end of it? Did your parents ever make amends with you? And nine times out of 10, they say no, right? Mm. It's so powerful when we as parents can humble ourselves enough to say, you know what? I made a mistake and I want my kids to learn the importance of making amends. That's where that true connection and vulnerability comes from, right? Yeah. Is when we as parents can say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I behaved in a way that hurt you, right? I'm sorry that I had these big emotions and I didn't handle it like I teach you to do, right? I didn't live up to the expectation that I teach you guys as kids. That is so powerful. I see it with my kids 
all the time. I have younger kids, but now what I see is that me and my wife try to repair with our children, right? We have a four-year-old and we yell sometimes and we make mistakes and whatever. And when we make amends with him, then later on, the consequence of that is that when he does things to his sister or he does things to friends or he does things to us, he'll come over and say, hey, can I give you a hug? I'm sorry that I did that. And I think that's really powerful. It doesn't work all the time, right? Yeah, but the yeah. goal is long-term, not short-term. But it's very hard, but probably the most rewarding thing. My wife is amazing at this. I say sorry. Make amends. Yeah. No, that's so true. That's something I always say. Kelly, can you ever, can you imagine our dad, like, taking well, responsibility? Was, he did, though, Jess. <laughs> that was the thing. It would be like, I'm sorry I yelled. And it would just be like, mad and unforgiving. But I do think as much as we, I feel like we did grow up in a way that most of the, half the time i i'm gonna say no i don't think saying i'm sorry is making amends or taking responsibility mm. i think there's a way that you can say that if you just say i'm sorry i don't know those are just two two words but if you but if you were like you know what i let my anger get the best of me it's something that i'm really working on i'm not happy with the way i behaved i think that's very different and maybe i'm wrong i don't know i think that's different. i i, I was just going to follow up with that jessica okay. kelly I'd, I'd be curious you said I don't know if it really meant thing. I'd be curious about the quality of that relationship mm -hmm. with your father and whether or not there was trust in the process, right? So in an ideal situation, me as a parent, when I say, I'm sorry, I'm trying to work on it, et cetera, my child knows that's true, right? It's not like I mm -hmm. say that and then five seconds later, I'm smacking them. You're doing it right? again. Or, or it's every single time I'm trying to improve, right? My, my children see me take breaks. My children see me yeah. take the deep breaths. They see me using the skills that I know to calm myself down. That's a collaborative approach. Right? Words mean, like you said, words mean very little, but it's the action that follows or precedes that, those words that are really important. Yeah. And I Great think point. we, I always tell my kids we're evolving and it is what the cool thing is, is that my older two can tell me, we can have conversations and talk about it and yeah. they can see, they can tell me, I remember when I, I was at home and I wasn't taking care of myself very well. And so I don't think I was the best version of myself. And so I can, we can talk about that. And I can say, oh, I used to never take care of myself. And now I, I go to the gym and I take time for myself. And, and that's so much better. We can't just always do for others, whatever, just like lessons. And we can have these conversations, more high level conversations and talk about it. And this Gen Z is giving me like minute by minute feedback on my parenting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, because they have access to it, right? That's it's interesting. True. They can go on TikTok and there's a bunch of experts there, right? No no licensure, yeah. no nothing. But there's a lot of experts. I, I see a lot of teenagers come into sessions and say, well, I heard this on TikTok. I'll say, that's great that you heard that on TikTok from a random person, right? But yeah, <laughs> that again, they don't need the information. They have it, right? They'll give us feedback. They know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. This was so great. This yeah, was awesome. I, I definitely, I think I need to get the workbook and do some more work. As a parent, if you're losing it, it's not your kid, right? That's that's you, that's the work you need to do. And it's, we don't wanna hear that, right? We wanna hear, these are the five things you can do to make a better teen. And what you're saying is you've gotta do the work, you've gotta notice your triggers, and you've gotta be in a spot when something happens, you're not so reactionary, but that you can ask questions and connect with your child first before you can move forward and make change. That's what I'm hearing. 100%, I agree with you. This was awesome. awesome. Thanks for listening today. 
don't forget to subscribe so you can hear our latest episodes as soon as they drop. If you love today's episode, please share with another mom. And while you're there, it would be great if you gave us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to know more about Kelly and I, want to find more of our blogs, tips, tools, resources, check that out at ChasingBrighter.com. And we interact with you on Instagram and Facebook at Chasing Brighter. Thanks. We'll be here next week.